Today's scripture reading is Luke 22, 39 through 46. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to this place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. This is the, Lord, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you ever been in a situation uh, like, like, like just a really a difficult place, like dealing with some disappointment or frustration, uh, maybe some deep, deep heartache? You're just, you're just feeling, feeling lousy. And then someone says to you, I know what you're going through. I know what you're feeling. But then they, like, they tell like, their own story, and it's like sort of related you know, but it just reveals that they have no idea what it is you're going through. Like, is it okay to punch that person? Because actually what they've done is they've actually made you feel worse in that moment. It's like, wow, nobody, like I am alone in all of this, right? We, we have that tendency sometimes like, to, to say that, to want that, but then, you know, it can, be, it can be infuriating. Like, you don't know what I'm feeling. You don't know what I'm going through. And it can actually truly make us feel even more, more lonely. But then there are, there are times when that person really does know what you're going through. And you feel, feel seen and heard, heard by them. Like, not, not exactly, right? It's not, it's not, they don't know everything, of course. But when you've, when you've just lost a loved one and you meet someone who's just lost a loved one, when you've just been diagnosed and you meet someone who's, who's just been diagnosed... Or someone who's, who's dealt with job loss or abuse or depression. And they actually do know what it's like. Like in that moment, it's like, okay, I'm not, I'm not alone. Right? It's, not, it's not just me. I'm not, I'm not crazy. Right? Here is someone who knows me, who sees me, who truly understands. It doesn't actually fix anything. And yet you feel just a little bit different, don't you? Well, what if I told you that Jesus knows what it's like. I mean, after you're done rolling your eyes, right? It's like, really? Okay, fine. Is that what we're doing today? Jesus knows what it's like. Fine, great. I mean, how could he, really? I mean, how could this man who lived 2,000 years ago in a culture utterly different than ours, how could he possibly know what my experience is? And frankly, he's God. Like, how could, how could God ever have the same experience as any of us? He's God. So yes, of course, I guess... I guess he knows, because he knows everything. But how can he possibly know, really know, what I'm going through? How could he? Unless. Unless he's actually human as well. Unless he really has suffered deeply. Unless he's also dealt with frustration and disappointment and betrayal and anger and temptation and prayer that didn't go the way you wanted it to. Unless he's also human. 
And, and today we are in what is perhaps the most human of all the Jesus stories, the most raw, the most exposed. In fact, one of the reasons I continue to believe this book is true is why would you make this stuff up? Like if you're, if you're to make up a legend about a divine son of God, there's no way you'd include the story. It's just too human. And yet it's here on purpose for us. And it shows us that wherever you're at today, whatever you're feeling, whatever weighs you down, Jesus knows what it's like. Jesus knows what it's like. If you haven't already, turn to Luke chapter 22 with me. And so for many of us, this might be a familiar story, right? This, this scene in the garden, Jesus praying, saying, not my will, but yours, right? It might be familiar, but let's enter into it for, with fresh perspective. Let's, let's be there with the disciples in this moment. So Jesus, he's about to be betrayed, right? And then, you know, arrested, tried, tortured, and, and executed. And Jesus, he knows that it's coming. And so before he is brutally murdered, he wants to pray. One, one more time. Essentially, he wants to ask his Father in heaven, is there any other way? Is there any, anything else we can do to get out of this? So look at, look at verse, verse 39. And Jesus came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Now, if we're going to understand what's happening there with Jesus in this this moment of agony, this, this place of prayer, we also have to understand why Jesus first tells his disciples to pray that they wouldn't enter into temptation. Because that, that book ends it. He tells them again at the end of the story, right? So he has this, this strange scene of, of Jesus in agony praying, but on both sides, he tells his disciples, pray that you would not enter into temptation. Why? Because when we, when we hear that word, temptation, like we maybe picture like a little devil on our shoulder. Right? It's kind of a no big deal. It's harmless. Maybe picture some delicious chocolate cake because it's so tempting, right? It's essentially like doing something or wanting to do something that you, that you know you shouldn't do. And that's, that's part of it. But in the original language, so the New Testament was written in, in Greek, in that language, the word there that's translated as temptation can also be translated as trials or as test. In fact, if you look all throughout the New Testament, it's used regularly and translated in one of those three ways all throughout. So it can be used when bad stuff happens. That's a trial. It can also be used when someone is, is examining you. That's a test. And it can be used when you want to respond one way but should respond another. That's a temptation. But it's the same word. And so there's, there's overlap in each of them. Essentially, our greatest temptation to walk away from Jesus is often in our times of greatest trial when we're overwhelmed by the brokenness of life, which is the greatest test of our faith. Will we trust God or won't we? Are you with me? Do you see how those three words, they're, 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 it's one word, right? It's different ideas, but they all sort of over, overlap, right? And so Jesus tells his disciples before he goes off and prays. He says, pray that you would be spared from this, this temptation, this testing. 
this trial. And then he immediately walks into the test himself. Like that's, that's why this is so important. That's why we need to understand why he tells the disciples that. Because now Jesus does. He walks in to this test. This is the ultimate test of Jesus. The ultimate trial. The ultimate temptation. Will Jesus trust the Father or won't he? Will he go to the cross and die for our sins? Or will he not? Like this is, this is everything, people. And if, and if you don't believe me quite yet, let me, let me try to show you here. Because this, this story, to, again, understands sort of the testing, the temptation, the trial here. This story is meant to parallel an earlier story in the life of Jesus. All the way back in Luke chapter 4. So we were in Luke chapter 4 however many months ago. Um, that's the, the temptation story of Jesus. You know, Jesus, like he fasts for 40 days. He goes off into the wilderness to, to pray, right? And he, and he fasts. Those, these stories are meant to be seen together. They're, they're meant to parallel one another. And so, you know, back in, the, in Luke chapter 4, in the wilderness, like Jesus went out to pray. And here in the garden, Jesus also goes out to pray, okay? Uh, and then back, back in the wilderness, back in Luke chapter 4, the essence of each temptation uh, was to abandon God's plan to rescue sinners. The same basic idea. Satan essentially says to him, to Jesus, you don't have to die for these people. Like, you don't have to, let me, let me help you. You worship me and I will help you find an easier way. And now here in the garden, like Jesus is praying, God, is there an easier way? Is there a different path that we can take? Also, back in the wilderness, Satan tempts Jesus three times. And here in the, in the garden, Luke gives us a shorter version, but Matthew and Mark both tell us the story in sort of these three rounds in which Jesus prays and tells his disciples to pray three times. It's the same basic story. The same basic test, the same basic temptation. And if you still don't believe me, look how Luke ends the wilderness temptation back in chapter 4, verse 13. So again, this is back many chapters earlier, chapter 4, verse 13. Luke tells us, and when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is that opportune time. This is, this is why, for example, uh, in the, the movie, The Passion of the Christ, it's probably been forever since you've seen that, if you've even seen it at all. I, I went back and watched this scene this week. But in, in this scene, in The Passion of the Christ, the movie, uh, there are three characters, actually. So yes, you have Jesus, obviously. You have Jesus praying to the Father, that's the second. But you have Satan there, like on camera, whispering to Jesus, you don't have to do this. There's an easier way. Like, you don't have to die for these, for us, Right? And then that scene ends with Jesus crushing the snake. It's by far my favorite part of the movie, right? This is the test. This is the trial. This is the temptation. Will Jesus die for us or not? And why did I just take all that time to tell you that? Well, it's because Jesus knows what it's like. Jesus knows what it's like to be tested. That, that's the, the, first, the first thing here. He knows what it's like to be tested. Now, I, I realize we don't really like the word test, like as if God is like some angry teacher who occasionally likes to surprise us with tests to see if we really love him. Like, hey, pop quiz, humans. Let's see if you love me after COVID, right? I, I don't think that's what's happening. I don't think that's how God typically works. But we are constantly being tested, aren't we? By life, 
by the brokenness of our world, by the things that happen to us, the things other people do to us, the things within us. Like, again, whether you call it a trial or a temptation or a test, the idea is the same. Because the question behind everything that happens in your life, both the good things and the bad, the question in the background is always this, am I going to trust God or am I not? Am I going to let him define my reality or am I going to try to do it for myself? Is he going to be the center of my affections or am I going to find things to satisfy me elsewhere? Every disappointment, every heartache, every time someone hurts you, the question Satan hurls at us, it's the same question from the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. It's the same question in the wilderness when Jesus was fasting. It's the same question here in the Garden of Gethsemane. Can God be trusted? Can I trust him with my life? Our hearts are always on the line. Everything is a test. You know, one of the, one of the greatest privileges of being a pastor is that people sometimes invite us into the hardest places of their lives. Like truly the most brutal. I mean, it's, it's, it's remarkable. I mean, I've been doing this for a long time. It continues to stagger me. The invitations we sometimes get to, to be in the places of darkest grief, the lowest point sometimes in people's lives. It's, it is heavy, but it is, it is truly a privilege. And I, and I have over the years, right? I've, I've, I've listened with many of you. I've, I've wept with you. I've prayed with some of you, right? But you know the thing that I prayed for the most and yeah, I mean, I, I prayed for, for, for healing, certainly, for provision, for reconciliation in some relationship. I've prayed for many of the things that we legitimately need and want, and I would never make light of those things, but those, those are always secondary. Primary. And the thing that I have prayed the most is, God, just help us to trust you. Because that's what, our hearts are always on the line, whatever it is we're experiencing, but behind it, because God could, God could answer the thing that you're wanting. But if your heart wanders, if you stop, like that's, we lose everything. So the constant prayer is, God, help us, help us pass the test, essentially. Help me to trust. And Jesus knows what it's like. Our God actually knows what it's like, which helps me trust him even more. I mean, do you, do you, because he, he knows how, how hard it is. You see the, the agony of this story. I mean, Jesus is in incredible pain, emotional pain right now. Look at verse 44. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus knows how hard it is to obey. He knows how hard it is to trust. When you, when you want to do something else, but God is saying, no, this is, this is the way. He knows how hard it is. He knows, he knows what it's like to be disappointed, to be angry, hurt, alone. He experiences all of that in the garden, even as his own disciples, his closest friends, just fall asleep on him. And so, yes, just as Jesus tells his disciples, pray that you wouldn't be tested. And we should pray that. God, lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into the place of testing and of trials. Yes, we pray that. But also trust the one who took the test for you. Because Jesus knows what it's like. That's the first thing. He knows what it's like to be tested. Second, second he knows what it's like 
to need prayer. Jesus knows what it's like to need prayer, which is, there's so much in this story that just doesn't make sense. It's so hard, right? Okay, he's, but he's God, right? He's, he's the son of God, like the divine savior. He's the creator. He's, he's the king of the universe. And yet he needed prayer. In fact, Luke, I think Luke more than even the other gospel writers highlights this in, in Jesus' life all throughout. In fact, there are, there are nine different prayers that Luke records uh, of, of Jesus throughout his, his life and, and ministry. Often at the very biggest moments in his life, Jesus prays. And, and Jesus, he had the, the habit of prayer built into his life. And Luke, Luke shows us that in a few different spots. Like, for example, Luke 5, 16 says, but Jesus would withdraw to desolate places to pray. He'd, he'd go alone and pray. 6.12 6, says, in these days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. Or Luke 9.28, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And then here in the garden, as was his custom, 22.41, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. And yet somehow I think I can handle my life. Like I, I've got what it takes, right? I mean, yeah, I'll spend a few moments in the morning and before bed and before meals praying. And obviously in a moment of panic, I'll cry out. Some of those things could be considered prayer, right? They come out of my mouth. And yet for the most part, if I'm just being honest, when I face trials and temptations of my own, my first impulse is to muscle through and to fix it myself. And here's Jesus who really could muscle through and fix it himself. But he doesn't. He prays. Why? Well, think about it. If the, if the heart of the issue is trust, not getting what I want, but trust, always trust, how else do we learn how to trust but by spending time with him? Prayer isn't about the stuff we get from God. Prayer is about getting God. Prayer, prayer is not about the stuff, and we have legitimate stuff that we are asking for, and we should ask, right? We are to ask him as a child asks a parent. But it's not ultimately about getting stuff from God. It's about getting God. That is how we learn to trust. Don't wait until your life falls apart to start praying. It might be too late if you do. Like Jesus, you've got to build those habits into your life now, as was his custom. Like, what's, what is your custom? What's your routine when it comes to prayer? What does your habit look like? Learning to trust over and over and over again. If you need help here, and we all do, I think, uh, next month in the formed.life, many of you I know are joining in this. This is our, our daily pathway to try to help us engage in some of these di disciplines. Right now, we're uh, working on the discipline of submission. In fact, the video tomorrow is going to be on these words when Jesus says, not my will, but yours. That is submission, right? But next, next month, we're going to spend time, at, starting in April, on prayer. How do we learn how to enter into that discipline how do we learn to trust?
So again, go back to the story. Jesus prays for another way. And then the father says, no. No, Jesus, we're not doing that. This is another one of those like, hard things for me, another, another place of dissonance in this, this story. But it also sort of strangely comforts me because Jesus knows what it's like to be told no. Think about that. Jesus knows what it's like to be told no. Has God ever told you no? Of course he has. Some of you countless times for really legitimate things. And you've, you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed, right? You've asked God for a job or for a spouse or for a child or, or for some sort of healing. Or like you've, you've asked and you've asked and you've asked and the answer, up to this point at least, has been no. And sometimes that is the hardest part of the test is in knowing like, God, I know you could do this. Why won't you? And if I'm honest, when I get in those dark places, sometimes I begin to think, you know, maybe if I was a better person, God would answer my prayers. Maybe if I just had a little bit more faith. And so you take, you take your disappointment and your grief and you just smother it with shame, right? It helps a lot, doesn't it? But here's, here's Jesus, who's the best person, right? Nobody's better than Jesus, Nobody, nobody has more faith than Jesus. And yet the Father still says, no. And if Jesus gets told no, sometimes he's going to say no to you too. And yet even so, Jesus submits. It's wild, isn't it? I mean, he essentially says to the Father, even more than what I want, I want what you want. I'm like, people, that's, that's the test, isn't it? I mean, it but it's, it is so hard. That is the very definition of trust, to be able to say, God, I want that one thing. Whatever that one thing is, right, or those several things. You've got your list. I've got my list. Some of them deeply, deeply, like, essential, it seems like, to who we are at the very core. Like, God, I want that one thing. But what I want even more then I want that one thing. I want what you want for me. That, that is trust. Verse, verse 42. Jesus prays. He says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup. That's a, sort of the metaphor of his suffering that's coming. It's, it's used throughout Scripture of, of, his, of his death, right, of, of the cross. Remove it from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. Not my will, but yours. Like, I don't, I don't know of any words that are harder to say than those. To God or to another human, right? Not my will, but yours. But I love this strange picture. It kind of surprises me reading this story. Again, there's so many surprises here with the fact that, yes, the Father says no, and yet he sends comfort. He sends this, this angel to strengthen him. And I'm not sure exactly what that looks like for us, but we are promised strength and comfort when we pray, regardless of the answer. And Jesus knows what it's like. 
to pray, to be told no. He knows what it's like to be tested. And last, he knows what it's like to pass the test for us. That's the last thing. He knows what it's like to pass the test for us. Good news, friend. Anybody here worried about passing this test? Absolutely. I mean, I, I, like, we should be. Like, this is, this is, incre- this is the place of, of deepest struggle, I think, for all of us. This is, this is brutal. And some of, you, some of you feel like you're holding on by a thread, and you've, you've prayed, and you've prayed, you've begged God. But the things you are facing, they're just, they're too much. They're too much for anybody. It's so hard to trust. Good news, friend. Don't let go. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus has passed the test for you. He passes the test. He doesn't, he doesn't take the easy way out. He doesn't reject the cross. Instead, he dies, even for us. Look at, look at verse, verse 45. And when Jesus rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. I know it's strange, but this comforts me as well. Because Jesus, he he gets it, right? Even his closest friends there in that space, those who actually knew him and did life with him, walked with him. They fail him in this moment. He knows how weak we are, how frail we are. They can't even stay awake with him. And they abandon Jesus in his hour of greatest need. And if I were Jesus in that moment, I'd be like, hey, guys, uh, you do know what I'm doing over here, right? What I'm going through? Like sweating drops of blood for you, and you think I'm going to die for you? Like, if I were Jesus, like, I'd be like, I'm out. No, you're on your own, people. But not Jesus. He passes the test for us. And Luke goes on to tell us that while he was still speaking, even as he was saying those words to his disciples, here comes Judas. Betrayal, arrest, trial, torture, and execution for you and for me. And Jesus knows what it's like. Whatever, whatever trial you're facing, whatever temptation, he knows what it's like and he weeps for you and he weeps with you. But he's also made a way through for you by passing the test for you, by his own obedience, so that whatever you're facing, even the places of deepest agony, doesn't have to have the last word in your life. But what are we supposed to do with all this? Like, are these just like nice words, a cute story to make us feel a little bit better about the crummy, crummy world in which we live? I love, I love how the author of Hebrews reflects on this. That's a, that's a book later on in the New Testament, written a while after these, these events. And I can't help but imagine him reflecting, as he's writing these things, reflecting on this story. I think he's, I think he's speaking directly about this. He shows us our appropriate response. Let me read it for you. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. He says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted, tested, and tried as we are, yet without sin. 
Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What's our response? We draw near to him. And then we do it again and again and again with confidence, with boldness, knowing that as we come before his presence, there is grace for us, there is mercy for us, there is help in our greatest time of need for he knows what it's like. So go to him. Whatever it is, even if it's the thousandth time you've gone to him, go to him, draw near to him with confidence, draw near to him in prayer, spend, spend time letting him comfort you, strengthen you, lean on his people to build you up, and draw near with confidence and with joy, for your Savior loves you. He prayed for you. He sweat drops of blood for you, died for you, defeated death for you, and passed the test for you. And now he invites you. Come to the one who knows, who truly knows what it's like. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do, we do pray that you would lead us not into temptation. That you would lead us away from trials, from testing. We don't, we don't want to deal with that stuff. And yet I realize, even as I say that, there are many of us here who are already in that place or are preparing for the time when they come. So God, I pray that you would give comfort, that you would give us a supernatural ability to trust in you at all times and all things, and that just, just as you sent the angel to strengthen Jesus, would you send your Holy Spirit to strengthen us. Lord Jesus, I'm so glad that you know what it's like that you don't witness our pain, our disappointment, our suffering from afar, but that you yourself entered into it and know what it's like. And we also thank you that you have passed the test for us. And so as we draw near now to your table, I pray that you would meet with each of us, that we would experience your presence even in a unique way in this moment. We love you, Jesus. Amen. And now we come to the table. And as we do, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace to help in time of need.